The Infernal Bodyguard Written by Santalatron Read by Literarian Chapter 2 Take Another Look So, Mr. Crowley, I hear you are a security expert, Alistair said. I must say, you're not what I was expecting. Don't bodyguards usually look... well... Alistair let his eyes openly wander over Crowley's lean frame. A bit tougher? Crowley grinned his most dangerous grin. This is my disguise, he said. Alistair raised one sceptical eyebrow. Quite. Well, Anathema here tells me we need you, but I'm afraid she may have caused you a wasted trip. I'm quite safe with Uriel. He gestured to a chair in the corner, in which sat yet another woman. She waved slowly at Crowley, her smooth dark skin contrasting with the pale suit she wore. Her expression spoke of supreme confidence and superiority as she appraised him with her eyes, and she had a stillness about her that promised danger like a praying mantis waiting to strike. There would be no genuine smiles here, it seemed. Bodyguard or handler, Crowley thought. Crowley, Crowley... Where have I heard that name? Uriel mused. She spoke slowly, her voice pitched low. It was a classic technique that Crowley knew was meant to command respect. Pity it didn't work on him. Could be because I've never lost a client whilst on duty, he said, matching her stare from behind his sunglasses. No, no, I know. Weren't you the one who was supposed to be protecting Prime Minister Raphael Azaria the day he got shot? She purred, eyes glinting with malice. Wasn't there that day. Had to hand over to someone who was clearly more amateur than me. Crowley answered pointedly, which earned him a scowl. Alistair glanced from Crowley to Uriel and back. Mr. Crowley, the only thing I need protection from is myself, and Uriel here sees to that. She's really rather good at stopping me overindulging. I seem to be able to resist everything except temptation. Alistair quipped, clasping his hands together as he rocked forward onto his toes briefly, clearly pleased at his little tension-breaking joke. Wild. Crowley said lightly, a small grin of satisfaction creeping onto his face. And it's just Crowley. Alistair lit up even more than before, his hands spreading as wide as the elbows clamped to his sides would let them. Oh, you read, how wonderful, he said. Nope, Crowley said, popping the pea. 
He was being obnoxious and he knew it, but he had no interest in clients who didn't want his services, despite what their PA said. And while Mr. Fell was certainly intriguing in a way that Crowley would examine later, his services were sought after enough that he didn't need to take on clients that he didn't want to. Alistair's face froze awkwardly as he tried to work out how to respond to Crowley's abrupt demeanour. He settled for a polite smile, drawing his hands back over his torso protectively. Ah, well, thank you for coming, Mr. Crowley, but I'm sure we needn't take up any more of your time here. And Athama can see you out and reimburse you for your trip. Alistair turned back to the table and Crowley turned to the nearest door, just catching Anathema's angry glare at Alistair as he turned. She followed Crowley out onto the landing, but remained silent until they were back downstairs in the hallway. Crowley, there's something else you should see before you walk away. It's about the incident I mentioned. Please let me show you before you make your decision she said. Crowley shrugged and made no move to leave, so she led him into an office off the main entrance hall. Michael was already there, sat at one of the two desks that occupied the space. Michael's desk was clean, ruthlessly neat, faced the only window and had a very expensive desktop computer sat on it, which was currently switched off while she tapped away at her phone with her feet up on the desk. She barely glanced up as they entered. Crowley surmised the other desk next to the door must belong to Anathema, and it was the very antithesis of Michael's orderly space. It was a chaotic jumble of papers and pens, with a large leather-bound diary and a sleek laptop poking out of the piles. A full Rolodex was teetering precariously on one edge of the overflowing desk and there were at least two empty teacups that Crowley could see and numerous notes stuck to the wall above it. Crowley slouched against the doorframe as she rifled through the piles until she pulled out a thin card folder. Here, she said, thrusting the folder to him. This is the last two months' worth of hate mail. You should see the things people write. It's awful. Crowley opened the flap on the folder and pulled out a stack of papers of varying colours and sizes. There were some printed emails, the rest traditional mail. A few with a clichéd cut-out newspaper type. He put the empty folder on the corner of the desk and flipped through the letters. He was mildly surprised that someone that seemed so benign could garner this much ill will. The reaction must have shown on his face as Anathema gave him the answer to his unspoken question. You should read his books. People don't like what he does with his characters. Some people see things in his storylines and the relationships he writes about that they deem immoral and seem to have no hesitation in telling him so, she said sadly. 
Crowley flipped through the papers again, noting this time that there was a definite theme running through them. He scowled. And what does Alistair think of these? he asked. Michael spoke before Anathema could. He doesn't know, she said firmly. And we're not going to tell him. It would only upset him, and what would that achieve? We're in the middle of a book launch media campaign. We need him focused. Anathema looked torn. Crowley looked at her over his sunglasses. And what else doesn't he know about? He asked carefully. Well, she glanced at Michael nervously. We had a couple of break-ins recently. Nothing was stolen, but one left one of those letters and the other left a mangled doll made up to look like him. We removed it before he saw it and... Anathema paused, looking at Michael again, who was scowling back at her. Go on, Crowley encouraged. She dragged her head back round to face him. And we had a malicious device given to him at a book signing recently. Fortunately, Newt got to it first and, as usual, managed to break it, so it never fulfilled its intended purpose. It would have caused some serious harm if it had, she said gravely. Crowley could feel his interest peaking. And what was its intended purpose? he asked, filing the name Newt away for later. If there would be a later. He was beginning to suspect there would be, despite all his normal rules. Anathema opened a drawer and pulled out a small wooden box. See for yourself, she said, as she put it down on top of the folder on the corner of the desk. She carefully opened the lid to reveal the contents. Crowley looked down at the array of blades, all poised to spring out and shred the hands of whoever had opened the box. The threat is escalating, Mr. Crowley, and frankly, we're all scared. This is our home, too. Crowley glanced at Michael, who was resolutely facing the other way, and sat very still. Please, Anathema said. We need you. Please help us. Crowley made the mistake of looking at her face. At her wide, pleading eyes, her pale complexion from stress-filled nights, her desperate, frightened expression. That expression had got him into trouble more times than he cared to remember. He admitted defeat with a groan. Fine, but on one condition he said quickly, as Anathema looked about to cry with relief. You tell him about this. I can't protect someone who doesn't understand what the risks are, he said, pointing at the evil box. Anathema looked at Michael, who was glaring at the box. Michael abruptly stood and walked out of the room, brushing past Crowley in the doorway. 
she stopped just past him and looked back at the two of them. Well then, let's get on with it, she snapped. Crowley swung around to follow as Anathema gathered up the letters, stuffing them back into the folder before carefully closing and picking up the box and following as well. When they re-entered the library, Uriel had moved to the table and was leisurely eating a biscuit as she listened to Alistair voicing his opinion on the book's plots to her. What I don't understand is why she... Oh, hello again, he said, looking up as they walked in. Back so soon? Did you need me to sign something? he asked. The general politeness was there, albeit with a thin-lipped expression, but the warm, glowing smile was absent this time. Crowley felt cheated somehow, and he wasn't quite sure why. No, we need you to read something, Michael said, and stepped aside so Anathema could gingerly place the folder down in front of him. He opened it up with evident curiosity that turned to surprise, horror, and finally despondency as he read through the letters. Uriel glared at Crowley with open hostility as he hung back, once again slouching in the doorway. Crowley watched with a flicker of admiration as Alistair took a deep breath and seemed to swallow his evident upset and fear, replacing it with a disassociated, cold, calm demeanour. It was a skill Crowley had taken years to learn and never quite mastered. Hence his propensity for hiding his overly expressive eyes behind sunglasses. He watched as the arguments began and Uriel was drawn into it. Crowley let it all wash over him as he looked around the library and towards the front of the house. He could see a set of French doors and what looked like the balcony through them. While everyone else was distracted, he quietly slipped away, opened the doors and stepped out, leaning against the light stone balustrade and looking down at the front of the house. Not a single camera could be seen. Not even an alarm system, it appeared. The park over the road allowed for any number of hiding spots and escape routes. After a while, he heard the voices inside quieten down, the door behind him open again, and light footsteps approach. Well, that went down like a lead balloon he said, as the delicate footsteps drew level with him. Sorry, um, what? came Alistair's voice. Crowley felt his heart rate jump for a moment. He turned to Alistair. Oh, thought you were anathema. Very light on your feet. I said, well, that went down like a lead balloon. Crowley took the time to study Alistair from behind his sunglasses. The man was staring out into the park across the road. He was no longer calm, instead nervously fiddling with a golden signet ring on the little finger of his right hand, 
while his eyebrows did their best to huddle together. Yes, well, it is a bit of a shock to find out my trusted staff have been keeping things from me. Although I'm not sure I actually blame them, now I know what it was. That box. <sighs> he shuddered. Well, anyway, it appears that I may need your services after all. Uh... He looked pained. Just Crowley. Crowley, yes, thank you. Jonathan, James, Jacob or Anthony? Alistair said curiously, looking sideways at Crowley with one eyebrow now raised. Crowley smirked. Streak of bastard under that softness. Noted. Anthony, just needed to see how easy it was to get to you, he said gently. Alistair's face fell. Oh, I suppose it was rather easy to get in then. He was obviously hoping to hear otherwise, but Crowley needed to be honest with him. Afraid so, but don't worry, I can change that, he said, watching Alistair's face light up again. It was as if he physically felt the smile, the way his chest warmed at it. Crowley wondered if Alistair knew he had this effect on the people around him and if he'd ever used it to his advantage. Oh, oh, would you? Oh, thank you, Crowley. Thank you so much. Crowley coughed as the warmth turned to a weird tension. He knew he was terrible for giving in to big, pleading eyes, but he'd never reacted this way to the expression that Alistair was giving him. He wondered if he was getting ill, it would be the worst timing, but nothing he couldn't handle. So, we have an arrangement then? Crowley asked. He needed to make sure Alistair was definite before he threw himself into this one. An arrangement. Yes, I suppose so. In so far as I have someone apparently trying to hurt me, and you will arrange for that not to happen, Alistair replied. Right. Well, yes. Uh, I'll just go and make the arrangements with Anathema then. For the home security system and... He gestured vaguely at the front of the house. Nice one, Crowley. Really smooth. Really professional. Probably best. I'm useless with technology. <laughs> Alistair said with a mirthless laugh. Crowley nodded and sauntered back into the house leaving Alistair staring out across the park, twiddling his ring again. As soon as he was back in the house, Michael accosted him. Happy now, are we? Did you see how upset he was? We're supposed to be doing the interview circuit soon, and how am I going to get him to perform for interviews when he's so wound up in fear now? It's hard enough as it is to get him out there, and now I have to, what, pass everything by you as well? Crowley mostly ignored her, instead looking at Anathema, who seemed relieved, and Uriel, who was glaring great, flaming daggers at him. 
He grinned at her and gave a small nod, which only seemed to incense her more. I'm going to go and make some phone calls, and tomorrow we will be upgrading the security system, he said, and turned towards the door. I'll see you out, Anathema said, as she quickly followed, leaving Michael and Uriel sharing an angry look. As they reached the bottom of the stairs, Pepper emerged from the hallway that led to the garage, wiping her hands on another bit of cloth. She had lost the dirty overalls and was now wearing a brightly coloured stripy top and denim dungarees. She'd kept the bright red shoes, though. She grinned when she spotted them. Hey, Anna, you real scare him off, then? she said, jabbing her head towards Crowley. Oh, it takes a lot more than a menacing glare to scare me off, he said, flashing her a sharp, toothy grin that wouldn't have looked out of place on a snake. Pepper snorted out a little laugh at his display. He'll be back tomorrow to upgrade the security around the house. Anathema said as she headed over to the coat cupboard and retrieved Crowley's coat and scarf and handed them to him. Fucking finally, Pepper said. And maybe we can get the driveway gate that actually works. I'm so fed up of having to pull it open by hand when the sensor decides it can't be bothered. Duly noted. Pepper, I think tomorrow you and I should have a little chat. Hey, you're gonna teach me some of those, how did you put it, aggressive maneuvers? She jumped in excitedly, her eyes bright with excitement. It'll be a miracle if you manage any of them in that car, but hey, we'll see if there's anything I can teach you. Ciao. He called as he went out through the front door and down the path to the street. He liked Pepper. She would be a valuable ally, and experience had taught him that it was always good to have the driver on side. He turned up his collar against the cold as he headed for the tube station, exposing a flash of red lining. It was only a couple of stops, but it was too cold to walk, and his favourite lunch spot was by the station anyway. He'd make all the necessary calls once he was back at his flat, return tomorrow with an army of security tech experts, and turn Fell Mansion into a fortress. That night, Alistair sat in his private sitting room on the top floor of his house, sipping a gin and tonic and trying to read. He was trying because every few sentences his mind would bestow one of the characters with hair like a dying bonfire or dark round sunglasses above angular features. When one of the characters started sauntering, I mean, really, who walks like that? He admitted that maybe stealing a glance over his shoulder at Crowley as he left the balcony hadn't been wise, but he couldn't help it. 
He'd been terrified to find out that there was so much hate directed at him, and worse, that they knew where he lived. He'd felt so helpless, so hopeless, so vulnerable. And then Crowley had known exactly what to say and had made him feel so safe. Alistair tried to reason with himself that this was to be expected. It was Crowley's job, after all, and he'd come so highly recommended, so he must be good at it. But still, Alistair found his thoughts betraying him. Surely, being a hero was enough. He didn't have to swan around looking so alluring all the time, too. Oh, this was going to be very complicated. Alistair just had to hope that they could sort out this threat soon, and with any luck, before he disgraced himself. Crowley slept well that night. He usually did. He'd got used to being able to sleep anywhere, at any time, with all sorts going on around him. Anyone that stayed in any of the forces long enough either learned to do it or went mad. But tonight he had unusually vivid dreams, peppered with white blonde hair, tartan bow ties and gentle smiles. He woke up with a strange urge to read. Must be getting ill. That morning, Crowley returned to the fell residence, as promised, accompanied by a plethora of tech experts, engineers, fencing installers and one locksmith and their assistant. This time he had called ahead, so Anathema was at the gate to meet them. After a brief demonstration of the gate intercom and a moment of horrified silence on the part of the installers, the work began. It was a clear day, the sun just starting to bring some warmth back into the air. Crowley was in his element, his favourite blue and orange side jacket marking him out, the one he affectionately referred to as his fuck-shit-up jacket. The dark blue clashed with his perennially black trousers, almost as much as the bright orange clashed with his hair, but that was part of the joy of it as far as he was concerned. His long legs carried him at a brisk yet relaxed pace around the exterior of the house, sporadically pointing at certain points and dispatching small teams to install all manner of cameras, motion sensors and alarms. Alistair emerged to find his house swarming with people, all dressed in serious uniforms, carrying tablets, laptops and meters and meters of cabling. Some were already up on ladders and there appeared to be a small flying thing buzzing around near the roof. Good grief, what on earth is that? Alistair wondered aloud as the drone buzzed towards him. 
He ducked as it sped over his head, spinning around to follow it, when he caught sight of red hair almost iridescent in the bright winter sun. Crowley was stood in the middle of the front garden, slouching heavily on one hip. His face was frowning in relaxed concentration as he waved his arms around, shouting instructions. Oi, Shem! That camera's going to fall! Alastair followed his gaze just in time to see a man up a ladder make a grab for a security camera he had just screwed badly to the wall, grasping at it as it fell to the ground and broke apart. Ah, too late. Never mind, you still got the other one, Crowley grumbled. As he dropped his arm, he caught sight of Alistair and nodded a greeting at him. Alistair raised one hand to wave, then ducked in alarm as the drone buzzed over his head again. Crowley stifled a laugh and meandered over to him, circling around him to stop to his left. What is that infernal thing? Alistair grumbled. It's a drone, Alistair, like a flying camera. They're using it to check positions for the mounted cameras to make sure we cover as much of the outside as possible. Look over there, Hannah is controlling it. Crowley said, leaning in slightly behind Alistair's left shoulder and stretching one arm out ahead of them to direct his gaze. Alistair found the proximity slightly dizzying as he realized Crowley was so close that he could smell him, gloves and mace and something very earthy that Alistair couldn't pinpoint. He realized suddenly that his gaze hadn't made it past Crowley's slender, elegant hand and he quickly looked up to follow the direction it was pointing in towards a woman standing near the front door frowning down at a tablet. Occasionally she looked up at the drone and made a note on a clipboard balanced on a small folding table next to her. He gulped, trying to put some order to the hopeless scramble that his brain had suddenly become, hoping the man behind his left shoulder hadn't noticed. Right, yes, wonderful thing, technology. Never got the hang of it myself, <laughs> he said with a nervous laugh. Crowley had dropped his arm, but was still standing very close to him, where he was panicking slightly, hands clasped tightly together in front of his chest. Crowley, meanwhile, had leaned in without thinking to show Alistair the tech security company's latest toy and was now trying to work out why his body seemed stuck there. It was clearly awkward, but he couldn't seem to tear himself away. He could see all the little tufty hairs on the nape of Alistair's neck from this distance for someone's sake. Is all this really necessary? There's rather a lot of cameras. I don't much fancy the idea of being watched all the time. Alistair said, turning his head slightly towards his new bodyguard. Before Crowley could respond, Michael appeared.
Taking the body part of bodyguard very seriously, I see, she quipped, looking very pointedly at Crowley. Michael, Alistair admonished. Crowley didn't move. Just explaining the security upgrades to our resident Luddite here, Mikey. Crowley raised his arm again, swinging it around as he pointed out various points on the house. So, there will be a camera there, and there, and there, so you can see the front gate, the drive gate, and the whole front garden. We'll put some around the back, too, and along the fence line. No cameras inside the house, though. We're also putting in motion sensors, but we'll see how those go. With the local fox population booming, might scrap them if they get too many false alarms. Right, I'd better go and check how they're getting on at the back. Mike, he said, nodding at Michael, before finally pulling away behind Alistair and heading away for the back garden. Alistair tried to ignore the way his body swayed towards Crowley as he moved away, hoping neither Michael nor Crowley had seen it. Fortunately, Michael was too preoccupied glaring at Crowley. Alistair was aware that Michael had started talking to him about a signing coming up at another bookshop, Bastion or something. But his brain was too busy trying to work out why Michael had got a nod as Crowley left, but he hadn't. He tried so hard to be likable, to be accepted, but judging by his rudeness, his new bodyguard didn't think much of him. He hoped his disappointment didn't show on his face. Crowley was angry at himself. First day and already he was making silly mistakes. He'd obviously stood too close and made his client uncomfortable, and then, to cap it off, he'd done his usual and lashed out when cornered. Not doing much to heal his reputation of being rude and annoying. Since when have you cared about that, though? His treacherous brain supplied. He needed to get a grip, otherwise this was going to be a very long assignment. He was strolling around the side of the house, muttering to himself when he almost walked into Anathema. Ah, Crowley, there you are. We've got your room ready, come with me, she said. Crowley followed along behind her, his long stride matching three of her bustling steps with one of his. I'm afraid it's not much, as Alistair doesn't usually have guests, and Pepper, Tracy, Uriel and I live here too. Michael also keeps a room, but she doesn't always use it. Alistair is on the top floor, the library is just beneath, then we're below that. Ground floor is garage, utility and bathroom on one side, kitchen and formal dining room to the back, study in the middle, as you know, and the drawing room at the front. We don't use it very often, mostly for interviews, as it looks good in pictures. Day-to-day, -day, life tends to happen in the kitchen, dining room or the library. She led him into the house. Under the main staircase was a door that led to another staircase leading down. 
I'm afraid you'll have to use the bathroom up here as we haven't put the ensuite in down there yet, but the bedroom is quite comfortable, she said as she led him down and opened the doorway onto a large room toward the back of the house. And indeed it was, although there was no way of disguising that it was in the basement, but effort had been made with a small window that opened onto what must have originally been the cold chute, letting in some natural daylight, albeit rather diffused. The room's lighting was soft, the colour scheme a generic neutral shade, and there was a large wooden bed in the centre of one wall, flanked by matching bedside tables with lamps on them. Opposite it was a matching chest of drawers, and next to that was a small sofa and armchair tucked around a small coffee table. As long as I can get the Wi-Fi down here, I'll be just fine, he said. What's behind those doors? he asked, pointing to the two other doors that led off the small hallway. Oh, well, that one's the boiler room, can get a little noisy, I'm afraid, and that one is the wine cellar, she said, pointing to each door in turn. Crowley huffed out a little laugh. <laughs> of course he has a wine cellar, he mused. Cooey, Anathema, dear, are you down there? I've just put out a spot of lunch for the troops, came a female voice down the stairs. The voice brought to Crowley's mind a larger woman, dressed primly, hair piled on top of her head in a bun, probably wearing a sensible cardigan and a string of pearls that she would likely clutch at the sight of him. His mischievous streak had him grinning at the thought. Come in, Tracy, Anathema called. When they arrived at the top of the stairs, the woman before him was decidedly not. A short bob in a colour that was a synthetic tint of his own, bright clothing haphazardly layered on a small frame, and chunky jewellery made her look larger than life. She eyed him from beneath unnaturally long black eyelashes, letting her gaze openly wander over him before humming apparent approval, raising one eyebrow and strutting away. I've set up outside, love, she called as she sashayed away. Crowley suddenly had a very good idea of what Pepper had been warning him about. He glanced sideways at Anathema from behind his sunglasses to see she had her lips folded inwards, purposefully looking away from him, trying to stifle a giggle. Oh, yes, Crowley thought. This assignment is going to be a long one. Tracy had commandeered the fold-out table in the front garden that the tech team had been using for their equipment and had covered it with a huge buffet of finger food which the installers were all hovering around like moths to a flame. Each one held a paper plate and had their mouth full and Tracy was dragging one poor sod by the arm back to the kitchen. Crowley just caught what she was saying as she passed. 
with me to the kitchen, love, and I'll whip you up a nice risotto. That's gluten-free, isn't it? Pepper bounded over. I don't know how she does it. She always just has the right food for every occasion. I swear she's psychic, she said before heading to the table. Crowley wandered over to the table after her and picked up a plate. He'd skipped breakfast, so now he was rather hungry. Plate piled up and balanced on one hand, he meandered off into the back garden to find somewhere quiet to sit. He'd learned early in life that it was wise to eat fast, and his career path had done nothing to dissuade that, but civilians found the speed with which he could clear a plate slightly alarming, so he'd fallen into the habit of eating alone to avoid the stares and comments. He found a bench against the wall at the back of the house, near some double doors that had been thrown open to allow some fresh air into the house, now it was finally starting to warm up. He set his drink down on the arm of the bench and sat down. He nearly spat his foot out when he heard the first moan coming from inside the house. As it was, he froze, his eyes wide, as the blush started to creep up his neck. He didn't want to get up and leave, as then whoever was in what he had assumed was the dining room would be made aware of his presence, and that would get even more awkward. Besides, he wasn't sure his legs would be able to carry him right this second. Clearly a male voice, probably that poor sot who got dragged in by the cook. The moans continued, sounding muffled, as if the mouth that was making them was otherwise engaged at the time. Fuck, he thought. Fuck, fuck, fuckity fucking foxicles. He tried his best to eat to distract himself as the moans continued, but the sounds were wanton, for fuck's sake, and it was doing all manner of unintentional things to Crowley's body and making it hard to balance the plate on his lap. Difficult. Difficult to balance the plate. Jesus Christ, get a grip, Crowley. Uh, no, no. Poor choice of words, get yourself under control. He'd been around rich and powerful people long enough to know all sorts of things happened behind closed doors, but the first day on the job set an alarming precedent. He usually managed to ignore this sort of thing, but he'd never heard anything like the noises that were emanating from those open doors. The sounds were obscene, almost bypassing his ears and aiming straight to his now rather disobedient cock. By the time the rapturous sounds had finished, Crowley was hunched over, elbows leaning on his knees, with one finger firmly clamped between his teeth to avoid groaning himself. His half-eaten lunch was discarded on the bench next to him. There had been a brief pause before the intensity changed towards the end, becoming thoroughly lewd, 
then finishing with a small sigh. After a few minutes of silence, Crowley composed himself enough to sit up, leaning his head back against the rough render on the house's outside wall, panting. He shut his eyes and took a few deep, shaky breaths, trying to ground himself on the feeling of the lumpy wall on the back of his head. He was rather thankful for the bulky jacket, even if he felt unbearably warm on this chilly winter day. Unfortunately, he was in no way at all prepared for what, or who, he heard next. How was that, Mr. Fell? Crowley's eyes snapped open behind his sunglasses, but he managed to keep the rest of his face impassive by sheer willpower alone. Utterly delightful, as always, Madam Tracy, came a very familiar voice. What the flying fuck, Crowley thought. This guy was certainly full of surprises. Shall I clear the plates, then? Tracy asked. And what's with the madame? If you'd be so kind, my dear, I'd better head out and see how the preparations are coming along, Alistair said. By the sounds of it, they just did... Crowley thought. He heard a chair scrape back as they both left the room, realising too late that Alistair was exiting via the open doors and was about to walk right past Crowley. He quickly grabbed his plate, holding it over his lap, just as Alistair came around the corner. Oh, Crowley, I didn't realise you were out here. Alistair said brightly, before looking at him slightly concerned. My dear, are you all right? You seem a bit frazzled. All the security renovation must be taking its toll, I suppose. I must say I was sceptical at first, but Anathema assured me it will be a glorious tool in our defence against this profoundly disturbed person who seems to have taken their hatred a bit too far. Alastair smiled brightly at him, although his hands were still clasped over his chest in a nervous gesture. Crowley opened his mouth and made a thin sound as he tried to speak. He cleared his throat, took a sip of water and tried again. Glorious to... yep, sorry, a bit overwhelmed with all the noise. The people... All the people needed somewhere to sit. He cringed internally, but Alistair seemed not to have noticed. Oh, well, next time you should join me in the dining room. If I ask nicely, Tracy always does something special for me. I'm sure you'd enjoy it. Alistair said with a grin like he was letting Crowley into a special secret. <coughs> was all Crowley managed, nodding slightly as his words failed him. Alistair looked at him slightly uncertainly. Right, jolly good, I'll um, just go and see how they're all getting on round the front then, shall I? He said as he took a few faltering steps away before turning more decisively 
and walking primly away. Well, Crowley thought as he breathed out slowly, that was a thing.